David Shaler show again, or Truth uh, Radio, as we like to call it, and we're actually live in the studio this week, in a week in which, in fact, uh, I was actually watching Fox News, would you believe? Uh, we're just watching it for a laugh, in fact. I tend to forget these things are actually available anywhere on the uh, satellite and cable platforms, and uh, lo and behold, they actually had President Chavez on Fox News saying, effectively, that 9-11 was an inside job, which is just astounding. I mean, why had Fox doing this? Fox are always, uh, obviously, protecting the New World Order. In fact, Murdoch appears to be part of the New World Order. Uh, so that's why I was very curious. And, and the next item, right after it, was a very, very critical piece of about President Bush as well. And normally, they, they really can't get their tongues fine up of his ass, basically. Uh, so perhaps the world is changing. Perhaps they've realised that more and more of uh, 9-11 is coming out. Uh, and it's looking more and more uh, obvious that it's an inside job. Uh, and therefore, I suppose, what they've got to do now, the New World Order's got, got to deal with this, because it is coming out and so many people know about it, so I suppose it's time for damage limitation. And it's pretty obvious that the neocons have put themselves in the firing line. The, the, the document they published prior to 9-11, obviously they've admitted to that. Uh, normally showing prior knowledge, or any kind of knowledge, uh, uh, prior knowledge or whatever of a crime, would make you the prime suspects. And uh, I wouldn't mind betting that they would, they'd sacrifice a few neocons uh, just to, to give the impression that the whole cancer had been cut out of society. Uh, but with the 9-11 movement, no, that that's not going to, going to change the world. We, we are going to have to change the entire system, the entire way in which we are governed. Um, because we can't trust the intelligence services. And, and on a small point about that, um, we are now in a position where the Attorney General is actually saying that telephone intercepts should be used uh, in evidence in court. And of course, this is what every other Western democracy does. Of course, there are safeguards on that and checks to make sure it's accurate. But of course, it should be used as evidence. Um, but unfortunately, our Democratic representatives are going to have to try and persuade MI5, MI6 and GCHQ to go ahead with this. Even though there are clearly no national security issues, it's not a sensitive technique. Even though that you have to disclose it to the defence, but so what? Most people know, remember what they've said on the phone. It's not like you're telling them something they don't know, basically. Um, so, so there you go. So that's a good example of where we've been right for nine years, they've been wrong, and finally, 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 new Labour's come round. I just wish they'd taken my evidence uh, in the first place. And again, um, earlier this week, uh, there was an admission um, on the part of the Defence Secretary, um, Des Brown, that uh, the Taliban were, they were proving rather more difficult to subdue than they thought. Now, I don't really understand the psychology of this, because anybody who understands the history of Afghanistan will know it's an extremely difficult place to go into. Um, it's been like that for a long, long time, and these people have seen off the Soviet Union, and it looks like they're going to see off us, because there's no point in us being there. I mean, I just don't know what gets into the minds of the British government, and I would hate to be in the mind of a British squaddy, who is effectively over there, deployed for no reason other than to be shot at and possibly killed by the Taliban. Well... Our boys and girls out there really do deserve better. Anyway, Annie, what else has been in the news this week? Uh, well, the other thing that rather horrified me was the news of all the deaths in Iraq. Um, apparently the deaths of civilians has peaked in the last couple of months. Um, first of all, I think the average is about 2,000 a month, which is bad enough. But over July and August, it's been well over 3,000 a month. So 6,000 in the last two months. And uh, what we're looking at is them being picked off the streets and taken away by the Iraqi security services. 
And the Iraqi security services, of course, are still made up primarily of people who served under Saddam Hussein. It's supposed to be a smooth changeover of power. And they're using the good old techniques learnt under Saddam's regime. So we're looking at all these people just being snatched off the street and tortured in the most hideous medieval ways. And we're talking things like eye gouging. We're talking electric drills. We're talking acid baths. I mean, it's just disgusting. And this is what the uh, great American adventurism in the Middle East has done to to Iraq. You know, we're supposed to have brought democracy to this country. And they've replaced one corrupt and evil regime with another one. And well, I, I don't think Saddam was killing people at the rate of 100 a day, was he, either? <laughs> well, it wasn't. No, of course not. I mean, it's just the same techniques that they seem to be using. But, I mean, in terms of democracy, it's just laughable. I mean, we always used to sort of half joke, half cry with the idea of, well, if you want to live under in a country where you have totalitarian regime and you have intelligence services that can do what they want to you, go and live in Iraq, Iran or Libya. Well, Iraq certainly hasn't improved. Unfortunately, we seem to be sliding that way, where, of course, we have the intelligence services who can now use information gathered under torture. Um, People can be extraordinarily rendered out of this country, taken away to torture camps, and people that we used to know, people we might have gone down to the pub with, people we probably used to count as friends, are sitting in on those sessions, those torture sessions, and uh, benefiting from whatever spurious information pours forth. Well, their actual argument is they're actually sitting on the session as such. They're actually taken to a room next door while the torturing goes on. But clearly they know it's going on. I mean, they've tried to argue in court cases that they don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but you'd think, well, why wouldn't they be there, for God's sake, in that circumstance? And... Again, I mean, anybody who's in MI5 at the moment, I mean, I doubt well, you probably are listening to this programme, actually, there'll be somebody listening to this programme, could you please tell the other people in MI5, this is an issue of conscience. You don't get anywhere by torturing somebody, but it makes you worse than a terrorist, because it's actually worse than killing somebody outright, making somebody suffer over a period of time. So you should have absolutely no illusion whatsoever that what you're doing is utterly morally wrong, and really, I don't know how you sleep at night, I really, really don't. Um... You know, and you don't have to do it. You can turn around to your bosses and say, no, I'm not going to do this. Then you can turn around and you can blow the whistle. Yeah, okay, they might come after you, they might throw you in prison, but I've been there, I've done it. It's an important point. If, if it really, you know, you see something like that going on, you can stop it, you should speak out, it's your duty. Let them try and put you on trial, but whatever, just speak out. You've got that choice, make it. Anything else in the news of interest? Uh, Yes, there's there's been plenty, of course. I mean, one of the other things that came to my attention was uh, another look at the um, book, uh, 9-11 Commission, Omissions and Distortions, by David Ray Griffin. Of course, he was over recently in this country doing a talk about um, the uh, inaccuracies in the official version of the New Pearl Harbor. And uh, there's one, uh, just following on the torture theme, there was one quote that was brought to my attention recently, whereby the Commission admits that information they are basing their assessment of 9-11 on has come from information gathered under torture again. And I I cannot say enough times that torture doesn't work. You know, either people are trained to give away cover stories or they are innocent and they are screaming for mercy and they'll say whatever they want to stop it. And, you know, if we count ourselves as civilised countries, if we count ourselves as countries that are fighting to retain our way of life, then we cannot condone this sort of information. Well, this has been done. I remember this in Uzbekistan because Craig Murray, the former British ambassador, blew the whistle on the torture going on in Uzbekistan. And what they were actually doing was torturing people to say that they were members of al-Qaeda. Uh, so then, then Uzbekistan could turn to the Americans and say, look, we need aid to fight al-Qaeda. I mean, that's how kind of sick the whole thing is, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was interesting this week as well about, about, um, about that, that whole thing about the 9-11 Commission was, uh, was Bush, basically, in a speech he gave on the 15th of September, uh, actually saying, talking or hinting, uh, the buildings on 9-11 being brought down by controlled demolition. 
And he was trying to indicate that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who they say is the mastermind of 9-11, had, had somehow given them details of how explosives were planted in buildings. So it again shows us that they cannot now beat the controlled demolition theory. It's a fact, basically, even though the NIST, the National Institute of Science and Technology, say they're looking at it as a, um, a hypothesis. We know it's a fact. So they're now having to change their story to try and say that Al-Qaeda planted all those explosives in the Twin Towers and in Building 7. Well, all I've got to say is, even at that point, because the trade, the World Trade Center had already been attacked in 93, we know there was heavy security there. It would be impossible for Al-Qaeda to get into that. However, we do know that the security was shut down prior to 9-11, and of course this gave a chance for the security company itself, perhaps, to put in those charges to conduct the controlled demolition. And who and ran that security company, eh? Well, yes, it's barely up until the year 2000. Um, Marvin Bush, George Bush's brother, was involved in it, strangely enough, and there's probably lots of other people in the Bush clan involved. That's the way this thing usually bloody works, basically. Um, but this, again, I mean, I, as soon as Khalid uh, Sheikh Mohammed was captured, I knew what they would do. They would torture him to try and get him to confess to various 9-11 stuff. And whether he confesses or not, they just make it up. What they've got to say is they've got this man in custody, and that's that. Uh, one other thing I would like to say about the news, it's a preemptive strike, really, a bit like the government always leaks stuff about what's going to happen tomorrow. But let's not forget that there's going to be a big Stop the War demonstration up in Manchester, um, protesting outside the Ring of Steel that would be protecting our esteemed leaders and government. And, of course, the 9-11 Truth campaign will be up there in strength. And we should be having a film session tomorrow night at the Quakers Meeting House just off Albert Square in central Manchester between 5 and 8 p.m. So any peace protesters up there who are interested in finding out a little bit more about 9-11, please do come along. Dave will be speaking. Some very good films will be shown. It should be a good evening. Yeah, and it's also that the, the theme of the, the, the demo really is Blair time to go. I mean, it really is. I mean, talk about outstaying your welcome. I mean, I mean, not only is he damaging the interests of the country, not only is he damaging the interests of democracy, but he's also damaging the interests of the Labour Party. As long as he is there, the more difficult it makes it for Labour uh, to win the next election. And um, before we go to a bit of music, just one thing I really must use this week, which shows, again, a fascinating insight into the mentality of Tony Blair. He has been pushing... Um, for I think it was one of, the, one of the London colleges, London universities, to open um, a school of good governance based on uh, his his kind of uh, premiership, basically. And you just think there is no shame to this man. He has taken us into illegal wars. He has increased the divisions of wealth and poverty. He has, in fact, set this country back years and years and years. And yet here he is trying to open up a course in good governance. I thought that was a joke when I read it. It can't be true, surely. Well, same here. I just thought it, it must be a joke. And then you sort of think, who's telling him this stuff? And, and why doesn't he have the self-knowledge to see that that just looks so stupid and makes him look just like he has no self-knowledge, that he's like a, a small child, basically? Anyway, on that note, let's go to some music. Click, click, click. No more with war pigs. Uh, got a kind of sort of uh, war theme today, basically, because we're talking uh, about oil. In fact, about peak oil, to be um, specific. So basically, uh, if you don't know what peak oil is, peak oil is in fact the theory that in fact the oil reserves on planet Earth. Have are just about to or have actually peaked. Now, of course, that would mean that half of it was left. Uh, but, of course, the increasing demand um, that we, we, we put on oil um, is going to mean that this is going to go very, very quickly. Or at least that's the theory. We have people on the programme today arguing for that. And um, 
in fact, Marion, my producer, is in fact an expert on peak oil. So tell us a bit about peak oil. Then. Well, I can't tell you as much about peak oil as the guy from Power Switch who's coming on. But um, basically, um, we found ourselves in a situation where uh, oil is in decline uh, globally. Um, in the 70s, it kind of went into, into decline uh, regionally uh, in the US and UK. But in uh, recent times, it's it, you know the oil experts, including people like Colin Campbell, um, who was a geologist and worked also for lots of oil companies, um, started to talk about the fact that uh, you know oil is now in, in decline globally as our gas supplies, which leaves us in a, a really you know major problem. But uh, we've got an expert here on the line tonight, James from Power Switch, who will be able to tell us more about it. Okay, brilliant. Hello, James. Can you hear us? Yeah, hi, David. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. Hi, this is James Howard from Power Switch. Uh, so, James, tell us, when, I mean, according to the reliable estimates, when is the oil actually going to run out? Well, I, I think uh, talking about it running out is the, is the wrong question. Uh, when is it going to decline is the, is the more important thing. You know, we've got a society that's based on um, the assumption of ever-increasing growth. Uh, that's based on ever-increasing usage of energy. Uh, the primary source of which is oil, uh, because it's based so much on, like, 95% you know, of all our goods are based, are based on plastic. 95% um, of our transport is, uh, sorry, is based on oil. Um, so, you know, the, the question is not so much when is it going to run out, but when is it going to decline, uh, and it's expected within the next 10 years. So who's actually saying this at the moment? Well, um, you know, when I first came into this, it was um, a lot of the people who were talking about it was... It's, uh, originated by the Association for the, the um, Study of Peak Oil and Gas, uh, which uh, featured among its members Colin Campbell, as Marion mentioned, um, and Chris Grabowski, who's the editor of Petroleum Review, um, and, and many more. It's now, it's now a worldwide organization. It's got 20, uh, 20 branches throughout the world, um, and it's, it's, it's gaining a lot of credibility. I mean, when I started out uh, studying this about three years ago, um, it was very much considered a sort of a crackpot conspiracy theory. Um, and now it's got to the situation where you know, a lot of investment banks are talking about it. They're very concerned about it. You know, people like Bill Clinton and Al Gore uh, certainly think that we are at or about peak oil. Um, you know, and from this point, we, we enter terminal decline of about 2 to 3% a year. And there's no, nothing, no combination of alternatives that's going to um, make up that gap between what we uh, need for, an, uh, you know, for, for the current economic system to continue and, um, and what we're actually going to have. Are the oil companies recognising peak oil as well? Yes, there's, um, there's a range of, sort of opinions in the, with, from the large oil companies. Um, Exxon is very much you know, saying there's, there's absolutely no grounds to, for believing in peak oil. Um, but on the other hand, you've got oil companies like Total who say that, you know, yes, we can expect it soon, but, you know, it's, it's a, lot of people, a lot of people talk about reserves, but it's actually the flows of oil that's the important thing. You know, there's no point having, you know, a lot of people, lot of people say, oh, we've got three billion barrels of oil, you know, and taking into account oil, oil sands and tar sands, things like that. But that's no use to you if you can't get it. There's no, no you know, if you've got a million pounds in the bank, but you can only get access to two pounds a day, you know, that million pounds isn't very helpful. Um, so, yes, and there's another company called Chevron Texaco, who I'm sure you've heard of. They've actually set up a website called Will You Join Us, um, which is all about, essentially, peak oil. It's saying that you know, we've used up the first 
uh, trillion barrels of oil in 125 years. And if, if we could continue using it at current consumption rates, we'll use the next trillion um, in 30 years. But the good news is that because um, oil is going to, going to go into decline, the oil will actually last a lot longer than 30 years because we'll be forced to use less. And also, I suppose, presumably, we're just too expensive for the average punter to buy. Yes, I mean, exactly. It's, um, you know, I think we're seeing that already around the world, that, you know, there's a silent oil crisis going on in, in places um, like Bangladesh and um, you know, many countries in Africa where they've basically been priced out of oil because, you know, within the last uh, two or three years, it's, it's shot up from $25 a barrel to, you know, the, the now the, the new range of like 60 to $75 a barrel. And it's, you know, it's going beyond what a lot of people can afford. And it's affecting, you know, how people get to work. It's affecting how farmers farm because oil is, is so, and, and natural gas, of course, is, is so uh, heavy, heavily in use in, in modern agricultural farming. Um, so we're seeing an oil crisis already forming. We're seeing already happen, becoming too expensive for people around the world. It's not, it's not being covered in the news because it's, it's perhaps seen as a, something for the business pages. But the reality is that um, you know, these, the, even here in the UK, we've seen that the oil prices have has pushed up the gas prices because they're inextricably linked. Uh, and this is, you know, you see headlines about people being pushed into fuel poverty. You know, a, a million more people you know, who can't afford enough to heat their homes properly. So, so you're saying, so you're correct. Yes, you know, we're not going to be able to. You know, we've, we've taken oil as a, as a, as treat it like water almost. It's just like being there for us whenever, whenever we've wanted it. And it's just going to become a, a, a much more of a luxury. It's going to become much more the, uh, the use of the rich. So we're, so we're looking at uh, really a sort of an era in which there's going to be a, a kind of two-tier society or even, I mean, the, the collapse of kind of uh, routine capitalism, I suppose. Uh, but once that has collapsed, of course, we, we're going to have problems in some ways actually feeding ourselves because we don't actually grow the food. For example, in this country, we don't, I don't think we grow enough anymore to feed ourselves. It's all coming from the other side of the world. So it, it's not just in terms of the fact your lifestyle is not going to be as good. You, I mean, it's going to be a very real prospect that people are going to struggle to survive, yeah? I think if we ignore the reality of the situation, if, if people aren't made aware of what's going to happen soon, we don't change the way we... I think, I think uh, farming is an area that concerns me the most. You know, if we don't change the way that we grow our food, the way we uh, transport our food, the way we store our food, the way we cook our food, um, you know, within the next 10, 15, 20 years, there, there are going to be very serious problems. I think the soil, the soil Association has picked up on this. They think it's a very, very major issue. Um, they believe that you, know, you, you can um, feed enough people um, if, if you go through methods like permaculture, uh, using methods like permaculture. But, uh, and, and also, the, recently, there's um, a, a, an alliance of farmers formed called Energy Security, uh, or, or Food Security, rather. And that was all based around kind of peak oil and energy security and how that, you know, because uh, they're not being supported properly and because of the uh, oil crisis that's going to come, um, we're going to be caught short because it's going to be too expensive to you know, continue uh, consuming our, you know, our food in the way that we do. Uh, and what are you actually doing at the moment to try and uh, alert those in authority about this? Well, we've been, uh, over the last two and a half, three years, we've been uh, setting up groups all across the country 
um, and they've been engaging at local levels with their MPs and with their local councillors. Um, I mean, based, being based here in London, I've, I've had the opportunity to sort of engage more uh, on a, on a uh, government level uh, or parliamentary level. So um, we've sort of we've contacted every MP via email and by letter, explaining the situation. And what sort of response have you had to that? Well, um, from the general email shots we've, and mail shots we've given out, we've had acknowledgements and we've had, um, you know, probably one percent of the of every of all MPs have responded and said, well, yes, this is interesting. I'd like to find out more about this. So that would be about six MPs. <laughs> yes, it's, it's about. We we have had acknowledgements from you know, people like Min Campbell and um, Michael Howard when he was leader of the uh, Tories. Um, but I think the most interesting sort of responses we've been getting from government is from the Department of Trade and Industry itself, um, from Malcolm Wicks. Uh, and they just keep on saying, you know, there's, there's really nothing to worry about because, you know, um, as, long as, we, as long as there's no interruptions in, sort of the, uh, in, in the opportunities for companies to invest in oil, then we've got nothing to worry about until 2030. But what that means is that as long as there's no war, as long as there's no terrorism, as long as the, the, all the opportunities that can exist are, you know, are actually taken up, um, as long as there's no sort of climate impact either, then we, we don't have to worry, worry about peak until 2030. But um, you know, we, we all know that there is going to be war and terrorism um, impacting on um, oil companies' abilities to increase their production of oil. And presumably it's going to make it, I mean, if we wait until 2030 to do something about this, we are stuffed. If we actually start doing something now, presumably, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but we are at least in with a chance, yeah? Uh, we should have started about 20 years ago. Uh, there's, a, there's a saying I like, which is, you know, if you, if you want an apple tree tomorrow, the, the time you should have planted it was 20 years ago. And, um, and it's very true. We, we've got a, there, there, there's a report um, Called the, that's referred to as the Hirsch Report that was written for the U.S. Department of Energy um, by a gentleman called Robert Hirsch and, and his associates. Um, and he basically said that you do need at least 20 years to prepare to uh, mitigate the impacts of, uh, of peak oil, um, you know, of oil decline. So it's actually prepare the, prepare the way your society operates um, and how it transports things, how it trades things. Um, and he, he sees it very much. He refers to it as a liquid fuels crisis, um, and, and I think it's an important thing to mention because it's 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 quite it's quite distinct from the electricity crisis. Um, you know, although there will be an electricity crisis as well, you know, it, it is about you know it's not some this isn't a crisis that can be solved by you know building lots of nuclear power stations and creating lots of wind farms because all the, what they can do is produce electricity, but oil has so many more. Um, useful features being able, you know, it's it's so, so energy dense and it can be used for so many things. Um, so, well, I think you're absolutely right with the plastics, aren't they? You, you use the figure 95%, and that must be about right. I mean, I'm just sitting here in the studio looking at all the stuff around me made of plastic. Um, yeah. If you took the plastic stuff out of here, I wouldn't have a, a chair to sit on, <laughs> you know. There, there's, there's probably going to be nothing in the room that you're in or that any of your listeners are in that they can look at and say, that either, you know, they, that they can say was not made from oil or was not transported by oil or yep. was not paid for from a job that's dependent on oil. <laughs> you know, oil is in, embedded in everything we do in our society now. 
Uh, what would you say, James, to people who, who try to poo-poo this? Say it's, a, it's a kind of it's, a, it's something got up by the oil industry to keep oil prices up. Um, I, th I think you've got to look at the actual, you know, the actual uh, oil reserve figures, uh, the, the supply rates, um, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, it's a simply a geological fact that you know oil discovery. Basically, um, if, I, if I can, if you can imagine a bell-shaped curve. Um, that's that's the life of an oil well. Um, it starts off slow, picks up, peaks, and then declines. And um, before you can have the peak in production, you have to have the peak in discovery. Um, and that's usually between 25 and 40 years before the peak in um, the peak in production. And then you know, that applies to any oil field, any oil-bearing province. So um, the world peaks in oil discovery back in the 1960s, I think it was 1963, um, so it's 90, 40 years later we're, or even a bit, bit more now, we're, um, you know, we're well overdue for the peak in, uh, in world oil production. So, so yeah, so the, so the picture's looking pretty, pretty grim really, and I yeah. suppose it's... it's well, oil's, oil's peaked in uh, 30 of the, top oil, of the top 40 oil producers in the world, so you know, the, the 40 top oil producing countries in the world it's now in decline in 30 of those. So, yeah, so, so we're and, Yeah, and, and no, ma no matter what kind of investment they put in, they can't, they can't bring it back up because it's just, it's just the geological nature of it. In fact, you know, some of the worrying things that's been said is that in Saudi Arabia, they've been trying so hard to keep the supplies rate up. They've actually damaged the, um, the, the structure of the oil fields, which will actually reduce how much oil they can ultimately get out. Because right. they've injected so much water into it uh, and all these other sort of advanced methods, which it creates the ability for them to get more oil out in the short term, but the, the reality is you get a sharper decline. And this is what we've seen in the, in the, uh, the North Sea as well. It's um, you know, the British, or sorry, UK oil production peaked in um, 1999, um, and it's, it's now you know, seeing decline rates of about 10% a year, I think. Have you um, ever looked at the subject of hemp? I mean, because hemp can be a, a fuel. I mean, it can be very easily extracted from the plant, and it can also be used to make plastics, but presumably uh, not on the scale of oil that we have at the moment. Oh, that's exactly it. I mean, we, there, there are things you can use. There are, you can make plastic from things like hemp, and you know, there's a lot of biofuels and things like that. But there's nothing on the scale of oil, because oil uh, is it's basically crushed organic matter from, you know, created over... You know, millions of years, and I think the uh, I think it, there was a study uh, that revealed that we you know, we currently burn about 400 times the equivalent of the plant the planet's um, organic matter each year in, in, in fossil fuels, which is an incredible amount. So if you imagine you know, how much plant growth there is in a year, we burn 400 years worth of that each year. So in fossil fuels. And, and that just shows you how the way we live is just completely unsustainable. You can't continue at that rate. Yeah, I mean, one, of the, one of the facts I get told every so often is for every calorie on, of food on the shelf, it takes 100 calories to get it there. And again, it's a society about, like that. About uh, 10 calories of fossil fuels are used to produce um, one calorie of food. Yeah, if you take into account um, sort of the, the, uh, the farming methods and the transportation and the storage. That's correct. Yeah, so it used to be one to one because obviously we didn't use fossil fuels. And yeah, so so we're in a, we're in a, a crazy, crazy situation. But if you want to hold on the line? We're just going to play some music uh, and we can continue the conversation, James, when we come back. That's okay. okay. Yep. Cheers up.
imagine it would be worse than that and uh, i suppose what we're so what we're really looking at is uh, is why at the moment they're they're going to try to start chipping people and why they're they're building all these prisons and god knows what in this country because presumably um we, we've got to predict that there'll be enormous uh, social unrest as a result of this when when the many uh, see what the few have yeah the, i mean it's it's no secret that when you have a lot of people who don't have much and then you have a few people who have a lot uh, it's going to create tensions in society. Especially because this will be very visible, won't it? Because there'll be a whole lot of people who won't have uh, access to the oil and its products. So they'll be living virtually in a kind of, a sort of, I suppose, 19th, 18th century environment, whereas the people who can still afford oil, of course, will, be, will be still be living in the modern era. So it, it will be a very marked uh, distinction. Yeah. I, I don't know how long it will take for it to get to that stage. Um, I mean, it could be 30, 40, 50 years, maybe more. Um, but that's true, and I think um, yeah, hopefully people will become aware of the problem before then. This is part of what we're trying to do: is make people aware of the problem before then, so they can kind of adjust their lifestyle so that they're so they're mentally ready for it. So that, you know, so that if you make if you if you make your lifestyle less dependent on oil before oil becomes less available, then you won't be as affected by it. Um, but it's not that easy, since you know most of our jobs are, are based. As I said, I'm based on oil, and you know, a lot of people have got mortgages. A lot of people have got, you know, Britain's got a trillion pounds worth of debt, um, and it's going to create a lot of a lot of unhappiness because there's going to be a lot of people unemployed. There's going to be a lot of people in a lot of debt and bankrupt, and and all all this progress that we've been promised is, is going to be, be pulled away from us. And so yes, it will cause um, it will cause unrest, and I think there'll be there are people who will want to seize upon that. Um, you know, there's, I think, one of the things that I found uh, most interesting when I, um, about two or three years ago, the, um, I became aware that the BNP was very keen on, on uh, peak oil 
Uh, right, the no. BNP, the, the British National Party are keen on peak oil. That's yeah? right. Well, that's, that's right. Well, if you look on their website, there's actually um, I don't usually recommend people looking at the BNP website, but they actually do have a section on peak oil. Um, <laughs> and, and is it reliable? Um, I I can't say it's 100% accurate, but um, that's mostly because the data's moved on since they put theirs up. Um, but I think the idea they have maybe is to seize upon the unhappiness that will will be created. Um, and, you know, much in the same way that the Social Democrats, I think they were called, who became the Nazis in the, in the 1930s did in Germany, when you had a disaffected middle class, you know, suddenly they weren't as wealthy as, wealthy as they used to be. And you have someone coming in promising um, to uh, implement uh, ways of returning their former standards of living, and you start by picking on, um, you know, immigrants and, and things like that, and it grows from there. And, and I, th I think maybe that's where they're coming from. So, yeah, so they're trying to pick up anything, any kind of social unrest that they could uh, turn to their own advantage. But what about the left? I mean, presumably, I, mean I, I know the Green Party are, are into peak oil because I've been at one of their conferences where it was discussed. But what about the uh, other mainstream parties and, or even the other left-wing groups? Are, are they running with this issue? Um, well, the, the Green Party, I think we played some part in um, shouting at them to sort of take, take it on board because it, it dovetails so nicely with... Uh, with everything they've been saying, yeah, they, they talk. I think the Green Party offers a lot of um, reasonable solutions to, to sort of mitigating the, the problems of peak oil uh, and, and also climate change. I mean, the, the solutions to both are, are very similar. Um, but in terms of the political party, I know that the Lib Dem Liberal Democrats have got um, uh, have got a, a conference on at the moment, as you know, and there's a fringe meeting talking about peak oil. So it's, it's getting on their agenda. And I know that you know we work closely with a, a couple of Lib Liberal Democrat MPs who who are aware of this issue, and you know they're doing their, they're doing their bit for promoting it within their party. And I, th I think we're going to see um, I think we're going to see more from the Lib Dems talking about peak oil, um, and then I guess from there it will be whoever's in opposition. Um, so, you know, it would be the Conservatives next and then Labour. Um, but in terms of other left-wing groups, I can't say I've heard too much. Right, okay. I just wonder, because, I mean, obviously it does seem to be a very uh, important issue. Now, I've got a friend who's... In, Can I say, it should, in many ways, the actual recognising of it and talking about it should be an apolitical issue. Um, uh, but the, I think for those who have become tired of, of the almost um, bland debates in politics now and how everything sort of fall onto some centre ground, you know, the, the post-peak world is going to create a lot of very interesting debates about what we do after. It's going to make politics a lot more interesting than it is now. I think uh, we're going to see uh, many more extremes or, or certainly not so much centre ground covered with um, in, in a post-peak world, because you know, peak oil and, and the world beyond it, the rules are changed. You know, the world, the first half of the age of oil, everyone knows the rules. After peak, that's it. It's it's, it's a whole new game. It's a whole new ballpark, um, and it's going to get very interesting. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, obviously, this issue is important uh, to me, and as part of the 9/11 Truth movement, because obviously we argue that. Uh, the reason that 9-11 happened was because uh, the project for the New American Century uh, wanted American control of uh, oil and fuel in the Middle East, and uh, they obviously recognised peak oil, mm. and therefore they, 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 they 
carried out 9-11 and, and as, uh, this was used as an excuse to uh, obviously invade, uh, well, uh, Afghanistan, but Iraq in particular, to get control of the uh, Iraqi oil supply. And, and all these issues, I think, come together. Uh, but what this proves to me more than anything is, is that we have to look at alternative ways of living. I mean, I talk, I talk about the idea of living uh, in eco-villages, trying to be self-sustaining as much as possible, perhaps trading with other eco-villages and so on. Um, and I, I'm obviously, I'm caught up on this peak oil stuff. This is one of the reasons I say to people is, is in, you know, I mean, you might as well kind of just do this now uh, because it will make it easier exactly. because because you, in, in future you're not going to have any choice. At least you do it now, as you were saying. At least you, you're kind of up there and running with it while everybody else is, say, going into chaos, basically. It's, it's also a lot cheaper to do it now because the longer you leave it to implement solutions, you know, changing the way we, the way we, we work and that kind of thing, as the price of oil goes up, the cost of implementing solutions goes up. And that's, you know, and it's, because it's happening at the same time as climate change, that's why we've got to, you know, implement solutions now rather than later because it's cheaper now than rather than later. We can do a lot more now. You, know, you can nip it in the bud, as, as the saying goes. And what's going to happen uh, with... Also, so I'd like to say that on, on your whole topic of 9-11 and peak oil and how, how that interrelates, there's probably, a, uh, I don't know if you've read the book, there's a book called um, Crossing the Rubicon by Mike Rupert. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, um, which talks about those issues. Um, to be honest, it's, it's not my favourite book on peak oil. Uh, if I can recommend to your listeners, you know, perhaps the best introductory book is called The Party's Over uh, by Richard Heinberg, which is an absolutely you know, fantastic introduction to the subject. Right, okay. And uh, just about obviously clear about this, I mean, what, what's going to happen in terms of sort of China and India and everything? I mean, they're going to be buying up the, I mean, are they going to buy up the oil? <laughs> well, that's, that, that's happening now, and that, it is creating tensions. Um, and, that, you know, it's all around the world, from, from the Middle East to Central Asia, um, and even between China and Japan in, in the uh, South China Straits, I think it's called, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of tension, political tension right now. You know, a lot of uh, actually Venezuela as well. You know, China's and Venezuela are getting closer, and uh, they're creating a lot of oil deals, and uh, it's creating a lot of tensions. Which you know, they're political tensions at the moment. But you know, when push comes to shove, um, we will see. I'm sure we will see resource wars. Yeah, abso- absolutely. I mean, I really do think that that, that is the uh, that is the future. Well, thanks so much for coming on the, the programme, James. It's been absolutely fascinating. Could you just give us a little bit more in terms of websites and so on people could go to to do a bit more research yeah, themselves? absolutely. Um, I, I think our website is... Um, well, no, our, power, our website is powerswitch.org.uk. That's powerswitch.org.uk. Um, and we've got links to um, everything that's important on there, but I can also recommend energybulletin.net um, and also oildrum.com. Um, a colleague of mine on, at PowerSwitch uh, called Chris Vernon uh, runs a UK version of that and he provides excellent analysis. Um, but there's, there's plenty out there. There's a, there's a lot of people talking out there now. There's a lot of sensible things being said. Right, fantastic. Well, say so thank, thanks very much for coming on the programme, James. It's been absolutely fascinating. And I say good luck with this one because it's, it's so massively important. It really is. But yeah. say so thanks very much. If I can say one final thing, I, I think it is really is important that people pick up on this um, and find out as much as they can and then just tell everyone they can. And we've got to create a, a, a groundswell of support and awareness and understanding to make it easy for the politicians to implement the solutions because um, you know, they won't do it unless they know they're going to get voted back into power. Well, that's it, and they should be, I suppose, in every party manifesto, they should be looking at this, but also, of course, with the mainstream media, um, 
you know, unless there's something that appears in the mainstream media, like we, or we all know politicians don't take an interest, so we're all urging the mainstream media to take a serious look at this issue. I've just conducted a study, actually, looking at how many times peak oil has been mentioned uh, in the mainstream media, and it's in the last three years it's quadrupled. Right. Um, but we need it to increase a lot more than that. No, no, it's one of those things, obviously, that's, uh, that's fascinating stuff, I and mean, it is obviously increasing, but we need to say it needs to be one of those things that's really in people's faces, so people just can't ignore it, basically. Uh, can, can, can individuals join Power Switch? Yes, they can. I mean, it's, it's very much a very informal uh, situation. There's, there's, there's not very much, uh, in, in, there's nothing much like a membership fee or anything like that. It's just, you know, contact us, say, I want to be involved, and then we'll find a way for people to be involved, you know, my idea when, we, when I started this is that everyone's got skills uh, and ability to get the message out there, to think about things, and I just want to encourage everyone to do it. And we've, got, um, we've actually got very active forums on our website. There's a lot of, sort of debate on there and a lot of uh, interaction and people organizing things in their local area. You know, we've got great strong groups in Brighton and Leeds and uh, Bristol, um, you know, all around the country. People are sort of telling everyone else about it, engaging with their local communities, engaging with their local politicians, and you know, I, we're making a difference. I think we're, you know, we're... It, That's it, all anybody can do as an activist, is just try and make a difference, is what we try and do in the 9-11 yeah. Truth Movement. Are there any conferences coming up about peak oil? Um, there's, uh, there, there are some coming up in, uh, there's one coming up in Edinburgh, um, and there's, that's in November, and there's one at the Energy Institute in October, um, but the best thing to do is keep an eye on the PowerSwitch site because we're always mentioning them. There's also an, another very good site I should mention. I can't believe I didn't mention it. It's called um, ODAC. It's the Order Depletion Analysis Center. Uh, ODAC, O-D-A-C-info.org, uh, which is fantastic. Um, uh, that's a UK-based people charity. Uh, they are um, dedicated to sort of the education side of it and analysis. Uh, we have we're much more about shouting at people about people well yes we need people to go out and do that so thank you very much james that was been absolutely fascinating and uh, good luck with the work in future yep. anytime thank you very much cheers then james hi and we're basically that was that was, uh, that was james howard from uh power, power switch as i keep forgetting uh, who's i thought that was absolutely fascinating i really did and as you say it's one of those things that we really have to get on top of and Many ways, the kind of the, the world's going to change. I mean, capitalism can't sustain simply because it hasn't got the resources. It hasn't taken people with it on this track, and you know, so, so the world's going to have to change. And really, on that subject, we're having a truth fest uh, on the. Uh, it's the end of this month. When exactly is it again? Uh, the truth fest is happening in a field near Bristol. Um, it starts on the 29th, goes on to the 2nd of October, and it's being organised by the 9/11 campaign, um, 9/11 Truth Campaign, Britain and Ireland. And I would advise anyone to have a look at our website, which is www.911.co.uk. 9-11 is spelt in letters, it's not a figure. And uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of discussion about alternative energy sources and all that sort of thing. I would say as well it's interesting um, looking at the whole issue of peak oil because, of course, one of the, the causes that we see of 9-11 and fake terror and uh, adventurism in the Middle East is the fact that um, Saddam Hussein tried to start trading oil in euros rather than dollars. Now, if he'd been allowed to carry on doing that, he would have garnered more support from other countries like um, Venezuela, China, Russia, and the American economy would have collapsed. 
Now, I urge anyone who's listening to this, look at this, because this is precisely why they want to go into Iran now, because the Iranians are starting to trade their oil in euros. That is the reason for these oil wars. And so this is the proof of, uh, peak, uh, of peak oil, essentially. The, the fact they're fighting wars over this to get the oil is, is proof that it's running out, essentially. They're already doing it. Energy wars are already happening. That's all that's going on in the Middle East. Don't be fooled by all this ranting about democracy. And the um, and this Truth Fest, I mean, I, I'm actually speaking of the Truth Fest. I'm doing a bit on uh, 9-11. You're speaking as well, yeah? Absolutely. Looking at uh, how they manipulate the truth in the media. And you know, that would be very interesting Absolutely. from our personal experience, certainly. Uh, not the kind of manipulation you get here, of course. Uh, there's going to be lots of other stuff, isn't there? People are going to be talking about things like, if I understand, monatomic gold, but, uh, social engineering, uh, food additives, all this kind of stuff to, to really, um, you know, we always say 9-11 is the kind of gateway drug, basically. It gets you onto the harder stuff, and, and, and basically you, there's a whole world of truth to be researched out there, and it's all very well sourced. Just think about it. We're not talking about going to wacko conspiracy sites. We're not talking about listening to people who don't know what they're talking about. We're talking about people here who, for example, have invented a water-powered car. Absolutely. One of our key members in the 9-11 Truth campaign, if you go onto the forum, he's known as Catfish, um, drives around in a car which is half oil-powered, half petrol-powered, and half water-powered. It works. He gets around the country. This is not some sort of mad conspiracy. This is true, and it's happening. Yeah, don't, don't mention his name too much, otherwise we won't, we won't be hearing from him again, will we? Oh, he's called Catfish. Go and have a look at him. <laughs> well, we do know that, obviously, in the States, that there's a long history of people inventing water-powered cars and then, and then disappearing. So that's right, isn't it? <laughs> yes, but there's lots of us out there, and there's very few of them. So yeah, let's keep on fighting. Let's join uh, Together. And they can't get all of us. Anyway, this is uh, David Shaler signing off for Truth Radio once again. Remember, conquer the fear and embrace the love. Good night.